0: You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Matt, Tommy, welcome back to Real Faith Stories. I am very excited to talk about your new book and all kinds of other stuff.
1: Well, Brian, thank you so much. It's a great honor.
0: We spoke a couple years ago, and you shared your personal testimony. This time, love to dig into your new book, and the new book is called what, Matt?
1: God's Plan for Living.
0: (laughs) All right. I just finished it, and... Absolutely loved it. Thank you. Thank you for the gift that you've put out there for people to read. And what I'd like to do is actually just read an extended quote from the book, and let's dive into this this whole idea that you share about Satan's trifecta when he tempts us. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Satan still uses the identity trifecta to tempt us today, provision, performance, and power. Through this gauntlet of temptation, he calls God's faithfulness and our identity into Christ into question by asking questions when we're most vulnerable. If God promised us blessings, where are they? Did God really say that? Is he really that good? Does he really have our best at heart? Satan then heaps fear and doubt upon us related to our physical provision causing worry, stress, and striving around money and resources— He tempts us to take things into our own hands rather than trusting the faithfulness of God to provide abundantly for our every need. Then, when that doesn't work, He tempts us to perform and tries to convince us that this journey is all about what we achieve and how others perceive us. Lastly, when those don't work, He promises us the power to change our life rather than trusting in God. His tactics are designed to keep us continually doubting God. Wow! (laughs) Wow. That is written from a voice of experience, isn't it, Matt?
1: It is. I think when I look back at my life, one of the major ways that the enemy has tried to capture me and one of the ways that God has used most gracefully to get my attention is the area of provision and finances and who's taking care of you and what we believe about God's faithfulness is really core to all of us. And I think just just like most believers, I have had to walk through a lot of those gauntlets where I really felt very tested and very vulnerable, and at the same time was able to come out knowing God's faithfulness on the other side.
0: Absolutely. To that point, I'd love for you to share a story that you write about in the book related to an experience you had in an art show in Baltimore.
1: I can remember this happened years ago, and I was learning. uh, You know how we all learn things in the Lord, and you get excited about it. I'm like, I was just learning how to really extend my faith toward things that God was giving me vision for and was seeing those things show up in my life. And I was like, this is awesome. Like I really felt like I was learning how to co-labor with the Lord for the first time. And I had this huge show in Baltimore, which in my art world was a really big deal. It was a major national juried show. And I had all kind of hope and faith around that. I wanted not only to meet great clients and maybe some new galleries, but also sell a lot. And so I just went up there just full of expectation. And the more the weekend went, the more I realized that, maybe God's doing something else this weekend because this is not the way this is working out. And unfortunately, at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, if I missed it or what, because I barely made my booth fee, which for a show like that was probably, I don't know, 1500 bucks or something, plus five nights of a hotel and traveling eight hours back and forth. And so I barely came out with the shirt that I had on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just remember I was driving back from the D.C. area back down to Asheville, North Carolina, through the Shenandoah Valley, just beautiful. And uh, we call it in the South, having a come-to-Jesus meeting. I, I, was, I was really having a moment with the Lord, and I was upset. I was frustrated. I was like, God, you said this, but this happened. and da. And he had to begin to reorient my heart to the fact that he was going to use this to teach me something, but it was in a different way than I was I was expecting, I guess, in my life at that point. And he reminded me that early on in my art career, he told me, he said, hey, if you'll be faithful to create here in your studio, I'll bring all the clients that you need. To be able to do everything that you need to do, grow your business, be fulfilled, all this, and when you travel, it'll be for ministry stuff. But of course, like everybody else, I'm just like, yeah, but you know, everybody else does shows, and this is the way to do it, and so
0: let me help you, God.
1: Exactly, (laughs) because you don't. Have you ever sold baskets before, Lord? I mean, this is how this works. And so he just began to show me that Matt, you went your own way, buddy, and when you do, you can get some results. But you also get the results of striving and frustration and trying to maintain it in your own strength Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing, which is very much where I was. And so in the middle of that, he told me, he said, listen, I want you to go back and prepare your studio for sales. And I, I didn't really know what that was. But as I began to talk with my wife, we really understood that to mean take my studio from being what was at that point a kind of a bohemian paradise of old <laughs> furniture and strung lights across the ceilings that sort of thing into a really beautiful gallery and working art studio space and i did that put a couple of thousand dollars in it and it just took a couple of weeks and that saturday after we got everything finished a couple walked in the door I remember it like it was yesterday. It was probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. And they said, Matt, hey, uh, we're going to come see you in Baltimore at the show, but didn't get a chance to. We've driven up here today to see you. We want to commission a basket. And it turned out to be about a $2,000 basket. The most that I'd ever charged for a basket at that point in my early career. And as they walked out that day, the Lord was just like, now that's how my kingdom works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how I've designed this thing to work and uh, really to receive as opposed to striving and working for it and that sort of thing. And that just changed everything for me and really began this journey of me leaning in even more of learning to receive from the Father as opposed to trying to make it happen myself.
0: So as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, okay, I want to learn how to receive, yet I have this tendency to want to take a step further than the instruction God's giving me. What have you found in your life, Matt, to help prevent that over time from adding to what God's telling you to do?
1: Well, it's not an easy thing. I mean, our tendency is always to try to we want to do things that make us feel good, right? We wanna do things that that make the journey easier and, and that sort of thing. And I think the thing that's helped me the most is realizing, and this is something that's just happened deep down over time, that this is not my story, this is his story, and I'm a part of his story. And whether I'm in a season where it looks like I'm thriving or whether I'm in a season that looks like I'm learning lessons or being refined or whatever it is, all of it's His kingdom work in me, and I can trust Him. He's good in the middle of that. And, you know, the other, I think, fear that I always had is that, man, if I don't do it exactly right and dot all the I's and cross all the T's that somehow God's going to punish me and all this and all this Hmm. fear and I'm going to lose my house and all this fear around provision and who's going to take care of me. And over the years, the Lord just through a lot of challenging situations has really worked in me a faith that says no matter whether I understand it or not, whether I'm doing things and I'm feeling a flow or whether I'm feeling like I'm in frustration, God's promise of provision for me is not based on my performance, but it's based on my position as His Son. And all of that is really, I think, helped me to hopefully (laughs) continue to release the tendency to strive and try to make things happen on my own.
0: What have you found to be the best way to continually pivot back to the reality that you're His Son? and that He has already provided for you.
1: The best way that the Word of God teaches is Romans twelve two. right? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And nobody ever told me that when I got saved. I came to the Lord in my early teens, and I'm like, nobody ever told me this is how transformation happens. I was mm-hmm. just kind of like, get saved, hold on till Jesus comes, do your best, follow the <laughs> rules, that sort of thing but this daily diligence of turning my heart toward His Word, reminding myself of who He says I am, not what I'm feeling necessarily or what my experience or what others tell me I am, but who does He say I am, and sowing that into my heart like seeds so that the fruit of His kingdom can start manifesting and becoming fruitful in my life. That's how transformation happens. And so for me, I think that daily reminding myself, and I talk about in the book a little simple thing I call the five R's, which help people learn how to renew their mind in a simple way that kind of hopefully can become natural for people. What are those? Yeah, so the five R's are, first of all, recognize, and I think about as a thought or a feeling is coming into my mind, I have to do what the Bible says, which is take every thought captive and look at it and recognize, hey, is this the enemy trying to get me off course? Is this my own weakness and frustration, or is this God's best for me? And if it's God's best for me, awesome, plant it like a seed in my heart. But if it's not, then I want to go to number two, which is repent. And repent, the Bible, one of the great meanings of that is to change the way you think, to change your mind. And so, We have to change our mind, come out of agreement with the lies of the enemy and the things that the world tells us is true and into agreement with the things that God says is true. And so then number three, uh, after we recognize and repent, then we replace the things that the enemy is trying to tell us are true with the truth of God's word that's a great opportunity to learn scriptures that you can use for affirmations. You learn scriptures that really minister to you and specific situations. We've got some of those in the book, actually, that have been helpful to me over the years. And then fourth, every time that comes up in your life, because we know that the enemy doesn't do things just once, he (laughs) typically will come at us from many different angles. We reinforce the truth of God's word every time you know, that other thought that uh, those other feelings want to come back. And then number five, rejoice, which is as a normal part of our daily time with the Lord, we just are rejoicing in the fact that what he says is true is our normal, not what we're necessarily have experienced in our life or the results of our woundedness or our trauma Mm. and that sort of thing. God wants to bring us into his fullness. And the more I remind myself of what he's done, who he is, who I am in him, the more that reality Shows up in my life.
0: You know, as I look at this list of five, Matt, the third one is replace. I just circled that as I was listening to you. And that to me is, at least in my own life, where I have fallen down with respect to taking forward motion is literally taking and replacing what the enemy has said with the living word of God that does not return void. That's right. How did you get into this mind space of, I need to write this book?
1: It's been interesting. So, for those folks who know my story, I've been mentoring artists for a lot of years how to bring their art life, business life, spiritual life together. And we have a mentoring program called Created to Thrive, and that's been such a joy since 2016, to see artists be able to grow their business, but also get their hearts healed and be everything God's called them to be. And one of the stories that I hear constantly at conferences and online and that sort of thing is, oh, Matt, my husband or my wife or my kids listens to you also kind of behind the scenes, and they're getting a lot of transformation from this as well. I wish you would write a book for everybody that wasn't just for artists and I just started realizing that a lot of the truths that I was sharing with artists are not just for artists, but they're really for for everybody. And so really, as the Lord was kind of bringing me through a transformation season and teaching me that this message was for the wider body of Christ, mm-hmm. He gave me that acronym of IDEAL, Identity, Design, Expansion, Alignment, and Love. And just began to show me that God's ideal was not just for artists, but it was for everybody. And so that really became the impetus of of writing the book.
0: Great. Well, let's look at those components of ideal. Let's dig into those.
1: Yeah, so identity first, just like we were saying a minute ago, everything in the kingdom is based on who God says we are and what we can do and what we can have and what's possible. And most of the time, the enemy's trying to convince us of something other than what God said is true. So yes. the first part of ideal is really establishing an identity in Christ. And, uh, and that is that work of transformation that, that we talk about in Romans twelve two. Then secondly is design, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't get, and it's just something that I've seen really magnified in the lives of artists in particular, that when you can get somebody convinced in their heart that what Jesus says about them is really true Mm -hmm. and to really be able to honor the uniqueness in which they've been created so that they can lean into this beautiful uniqueness and their ability to reveal and release the image of Christ in the earth through whatever it is they're called to do, whether it's being an artist or an entrepreneur or a stay-at-home mom or a person in government or education, whatever it is, that uniqueness is sort of your special sauce. And that I've found in my own life and in the lives of others I've helped that your willingness to lean into identity and design and then ultimately your assignment is really the place where you're going to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. That's where fulfillment, that's where joy, that's where the feeling of momentum and all of that is going to show up. So identity and design are first. Thirdly is what we call expansion, which I like to think of it this way. As you're faithful with little, as it says in Matthew 25, you're going to be made ruler over much. As you're fruitful, like it says in Genesis, then you're going to multiply, And so as you steward well your identity and your design, there's an expansion, there's an enlargement, there's an assignment that comes into your life where you get to walk not only a way that blesses you, but also blesses others and releases the kingdom through your life. And then fourthly is alignment. And this is a concept that I love teaching because most people kind of have this idea that if it's God's will for their life, that they don't have to do anything, that it's just going to happen. (laughs) They kind of really lean heavily on the idea of God's sovereignty, which obviously God is sovereign. But I find that the kingdom is really about this beautiful partnership. Every promise that God gives us is also comes in this opportunity for us to respond. And so alignment is this idea of God showing us vision and bringing us into the right place, with the right people, with the right provision, at the right place in life. And along the way, He's not only positioning us for favor and opportunity, but He's also positioning us for refinement.
0: That's popular.
1: We don't like a lot of times. But, but, you know, in my life, and I'm sure you'd say the same, just like every time that I get ready to take an upgrade into the next season that God has for me, there's always this sort of gauntlet that we have to go through of a refinement because there are things that we have now that we can't take into the next season. There are things that you need in the next season that you don't have now that you can't get unless you go through that refining fire. And so that's what that alignment is all about. And then lastly, love. And I just felt like as far as the ideal framework, love is really The foundation of everything that is talked about in God's Word is the the foundation of the kingdom. God is love. And I think most of the time when we're operating off of a wounded framework, we're usually performing for love, for the love of God, for the love of others, trying to convince others that we're worthy of love rather than, again, kind of tied to identity, receiving who it is that God says we already are, that we're already loved, we're already accepted, we're already in the beloved. And how can I begin to see life and see others through the lens of love rather than trying to perform for it all the time?
0: So much there. You know, the part of the ideal framework that I want to key in on is design slash uniqueness. Yeah, yeah. I would guess, because I know you mentor a lot of people that the whole question around uniqueness comes up routinely, doesn't it?
1: It does. Because people deny their own uniqueness. They oh, there's nothing unique about me. Yeah, sure.
0: What do you say to somebody who's sitting there kind of in a, a fog thinking about their uniqueness and really knowing in their heart they are unique, but not sure what that looks like?
1: I really believe that uniqueness is not something that you try to find. It's something that is uncovered over time. And usually the reason it is covered is because it's been covered over with lies and insecurities and frustrations and beliefs of things that other people have told you. I've talked to so many artists over the years that they had one word from their fourth grade art teacher who said, you'll never be an artist, or maybe you should look at doing band instead of visual arts instead of that. And man, a word like that wounds them and it it casts a shadow over everything they do. And so somehow this beautiful, unique gift that God's given them gets covered over, and they end up living their life trying to be like everybody else, And whether that's in ministry or in business or just in life in general. And I find that our uniqueness, it gets uncovered as we begin to know who we are in Christ, as we allow Him to heal the broken places of our heart and realign our truth to His truth Then all of a sudden, those nuggets of gold, if you will, those beautiful jewels and gems that that God's put inside of us can really begin to shine because they're not not being clouded by all the other stuff.
0: What have you found to be the most profound way somebody can press into uncovering their uniqueness?
1: Part of the burden of this book, I think, is that the kingdom is a lot more simple than we try to make it to be. Mm -hmm. And I think the process of just looking at what are the things that I'm naturally passionate about. What are the things that I recognize in the world? What are the problems that I want to solve? What are the things that keep me up at night? What are the unique perspectives that I have? Like people have often asked me as in my art world as a basket maker, they're like, do you make Christian baskets? And I'm like, listen, I don't even, I don't even know baskets could get saved. Like, I don't (laughs) even know what kind of question is that? But it's this idea that, hey, if I love Jesus and I'm leaning into everything that he has for me and I have a love for whatever it is, then I'm just crazy enough to believe that God put those desires in my heart. Because His Word says very clearly, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And so, obviously, everything that we are and everything that we do has to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and viewed through the lens of His kingdom. But I think because people have not had a a perspective that the way that they are wired could be used from God if it's not within overt ministry or vocational ministry or or within a realm that looks like what we think church people do or don't do. A lot of times, the, these beautiful, unique expressions get pushed to the side, and they're not encouraged to walk in those things. I, I told a friend of mine the other day. I said, "I think that what we're doing in mentoring people in this way is really sort of helping to rewrite the methodology, if you will, for discipleship because." you know, the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I think we have very, a very limited view in the church of what that quote-unquote work of ministry looks like. I think part of the success and effectiveness we've seen in mentoring people is just helping the people helping people uncover who God created them to be, not trying to put them into a mold of what people think it ought to look like. And when you do that, man, you free people up. They start to get excited and, and they start to see God show up in their life in, in great ways. So I'm just passionate about that.
0: No doubt. I want to circle back on the opening quote that I provided and zero in on the statement here that the enemy promises us the power to change our life rather than trusting in God. What's been your experience with that personally?
1: As I look back at my own journey of walking out of woundedness, I grew up as a Christian in church, parents were believers, all that sort of thing. But the enemy had a target on me very early. And so I ended up walking through sexual abuse as a young teenager from a family member of mine and um, really setting me up for a lot of frustration and confusion and that sort of thing in my life. And I didn't have a context. This is mid-80s. Nobody was talking about that kind of stuff back then, much less in church. And so it was just this, I now know the voice of the enemy was just right there going, oh, just keep this silent. Just keep it to yourself. Oh, just use pornography to get through this. That'll make you feel better. Oh, just, just use performance in church. As long as everybody sees you performing and is validating your gift, you'll be fine. Just keep doing that. And it it kept putting these false tools, these mirages in my hand, telling me, if you'll just do this, then you'll be able to get to the other side of this. And all it did was just dig the hole deeper. And my life became more desperate. The coping mechanisms became more unhealthy until I found myself in a place where I was just absolutely unable to continue. And thankfully, as the enemy is working overtime, God's working overtime as well, and the Lord brought... Into my life some folks who are still kind of what my wife and i call our spiritual parents and really they were the first folks in my life this is back in like 99 2000 2001 my friend pat and jim banks are their names and pat looked at me one day after after i led worship and she came up and put her hands on my shoulders and looked deep in my eyes and said matt how are you really doing wow and that was the first time that had ever happened and mm. i mean nobody ever like like when somebody looks at you, and like they're like, I can see everything that's going on yeah. inside of you. And man, I just broke. But it gave me a space in my life to begin to allow the Lord to heal those broken places in my heart and learn that the tools that I had been given by the enemy were not God's best for my life. They were not effective tools that, and that there were other tools. And I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know that there were other tools and they in a very practical way, began to give me other tools to learn. And thankfully, the Lord has been giving me different tools ever since and allowing me to go through that divine exchange of giving up the things that the enemy wants to give us and receiving the tools that that he gives.
0: What have you found, speaking of tools, to be the largest lever, at least that you experienced in your own life, that the enemy used to try to keep you off track?
1: The biggest one, obviously, has has been renewing my mind and my thought life. That was always a big issue for me. And with that, I'll say, I think, is the thing that makes renewing your mind easier and more effective is community. I always hated that verse in James, I think it's James 5, 16, that says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. I was always using that one, what is it, in Psalms that David said, against you alone, oh Lord, have I sinned. (laughs) In other words, me and you, Jesus, that's that's all I need. But I've really come to believe that there's a level of healing, there's a level of wholeness that we'll never experience in our life unless we are willing to be vulnerable and transparent and real with other folks. Now, obviously not with everybody. I'm not saying go air all your junk to everybody, but the Lord will bring safe, healthy people into your life that you can really develop solid relationship with. And I just find that as we can be real with each other with that and share our journey, the places we're messing up, the places where we're getting strength, that's where that iron sharpens iron. That's where we're being honed and healed for the journey. And so for me, I think renewing your mind and community are really inextricably tied for anybody that wants to really grow in maturity in the kingdom.
0: And I think now more than ever, it seems as though there's a lack of community.
1: Yeah, it is. We just actually, this past weekend, we're doing a Three day event here in in East Texas with some of our our members of our mentoring program and so many people came up to me were just like oh man after all this COVID stuff and the craziness of the world right now and everything it's so good to be in a room with real people right that yeah. you can really see and touch and be around be around the table with and I just think today's online world and all the virtual things that that we're doing we've got to be intentional and sometimes if we're the ones that are wanting that community. We need to be the ones that are instigating that with others. You need to be the one to invite people over to your house, to have the party, to have people come over after church or whatever it is. I think too many times we... We wait on others to invite us when, in fact, the burden is there for us to be the inviter of other folks. So.
0: <laughs> that is a great point. As you wrote this book, Matt, what was the biggest challenge you faced looking back on it now?
1: This will seem funny to people maybe, but I think the biggest challenge for me was me and my own feelings of disqualification. Because I've been really comfortable since 2009 in the lane that I've been in of working with artists, and God's called me to raise up this army of artists globally and that sort of thing. And But in 2019, the Lord showed me that we're all artists in the kingdom. We're all called to see and agree and release the kingdom through His creative nature and through that process, and that I had a wider audience. He wanted me to take this to to a wider message. And the big frustration and the big roadblock in this whole thing is, God, I'm comfortable in the artist thing, and I don't want to be one more person out there saying, live your best life, and all this sort of thing. And yet the Lord has been encouraged me the whole time that, Matt, this is unique, this is unique to you. and. There are people that need to hear this from you that'll never hear it from anybody else. And so, just like I'm telling everybody, (laughs) believe God's truth and not your own junk. I'm still right in the middle of that and growing just like everybody else is, trying to step into the next season that God has for me.
0: Yeah, thanks for your vulnerability around that. (laughs) Sure, sure. How can people get this book and find out more
1: about you? Well, they can go to godsplanforliving.com and be able to grab the book. It'll be on Amazon, in print, and in Kindle. Later this spring, the audiobook will be out, and then in the fall, we're going to be having a course that's going to come out that'll really allow folks to dive a lot deeper into the concepts of the book in the context of community and also getting to ask me questions along the way and that sort of thing. I'm also writing a 90-day devotional for the book, and I'm about, right as of right now, as of our interview, I'm about 60 completed into the 90, and so I've got to get that finished, and that's going to be out later this year as well. So we're excited. It's hopefully going to be a a suite of resources that are going to really be a blessing to folks on their journey.
0: Oh, I definitely see that. As we finish up, Matt, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you that you do have an ideal for our life that's not our idea. It's your idea. Jesus, thank you that when you died on the cross, you not only redeemed us from death, hell, and the grave, but you reconciled us to the Father, and you restored everything that the enemy tried to steal from us through the fall. Jesus, we choose to lean in to your voice and your reality and your truth. We choose to walk in the ideal that you have outlined for us in your word, and we choose to do that today. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Matt. Great talking with you again.
1: Absolutely, Brian. My pleasure. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson, reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.